0: Welcome to episode 11 of Tech Swamp. Of course, we have our hosts and your friendly neighborhood membership team here today. Hey, Gary. Hey, y'all. Hey, and Caitlin, what up? You know, just membership chillin'. Membership chillin'. <laughs> and of course, this is Alex. Today, we're taking a deep dive into the recent oral arguments for the Supreme Court case Apple v. Pepper. First up, we're sitting down with our policy counsel, Joel Thayer, and our communications director, Ashley durkin Rixie to discuss the biggest takeaways from the oral arguments. And then we'll be joined by Mark Fisher of uh, act member company, Dogtown Media, to discuss how a ruling in Pepper's favor would impact his business. But first we'll hit tech history and run through some DC headlines. November 21st, 2008, iPhone emojis were born. Uh, Apple released iPhone OS 2.2 to users in Japan that came with the emoji keyboard that we all know and love. Initially, Apple intended to restrict the keyboard to OS 2.2 in Japan, but third-party apps from the App Store unlocked the keyboard for iPhone users outside of Japan. Back in 2008, there were 471 unique emoji versus a whopping 2,776 today in 2018. Fun fact, the most used emoji is the face with the tears of joy, otherwise known as the crying, laughing emoji. Um, I'm curious, Caitlin, what is your favorite emoji?
1: Um, My favorite emoji is the purple devil that's like smiling evilly.
0: Yeah. Like it? Gary?
1: Mine is the blue heart.
0: Nice. Mine is obviously the uh, eye rolling face emoji. Use it on the reg. <laughs> um, that's all for tech history. That sound means it's time for What's Brewing in DC. Caitlin and Gary, what are some of the top tech headlines?
1: So you may have heard about this thing called the midterm elections.
0: What?
1: Yep. Yeah, they happened. Uh...
0: <laughs> did they? They did. That's right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> On November 6th, voters headed to the polls, and we have the results. First up, there's still a race that's up in the air. California's 21st congressional district has flip-flopped. Although the race was originally called in favor of Republican incumbent David Velado, Democrat T.J. Cox now holds a lead of 438 votes. Now, there are still thousands of ballots left to count, and the results must be in by December 7th.
2: There was also a very recent runoff Senate election in Mississippi. Voters headed to the polls yesterday, November 27th, to cast their ballots for either Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith or Democrat Mike Epsi. Hyde-Smith won with nearly 54% of the vote.
1: And as for final numbers, Democrats took the House with 234 seats, safely surpassing the 218 seats necessary to take the majority. And Republicans narrowly maintained their leadership in the Senate with 52 seats, surpassing the 51 necessary to main the majority over there.
0: In Connected Health News, the Wall Street Journal reported that the Veterans Affairs Department is working with Apple to give veterans access to digital health records. Under the program, that's would have the ability to download health records directly to their iPhones, allowing them to link those records to e-health tools that can track prescriptions and provide different e-health-related services. Despite what Wall Street Journal reported, the VA is remaining tight-lipped, saying, We are in frequent contact with the private sector on how companies can work together on improving services to our nation's veterans, But we have no announcements at this time with respect to any particular company or group of companies. We will be sure to keep you posted on this exciting development.
1: Another year, another shutdown. That's (laughs) right. We're looking at another potential government shutdown, this time over funding for the Department of Homeland Security. Now, several funding bills have not advanced all the way through the House and the Senate, and the details in DHS's funding bill remain unclear. President Trump, however, has made it clear that he is not interested in signing a funding bill that does not include $5 billion towards building a wall on the U.S.'s southern border, telling reporters, A shutdown could happen over border security. The wall is just a part of border security, a very important part, probably the most important part. But could there be a shutdown? There certainly could. And it will be about border security, of which the wall is a part. Funding for the government expires on December 7th.
2: The Federal Communications Commission plans on making some 5G moves in their December meeting. Chairman Ajit Pai penned an op-ed last week that the FCC will be making more Spectrum available via an auction. This is the second time the Commission will use an incentive auction format for Spectrum. For more exciting FCC updates, check out our show notes.
0: Remember last month when we speculated that Amazon's HQ2 was coming to Crystal City, Virginia? Well, we were right. Kind of. Amazon recently announced that HQ2 would be split between New York and Virginia, but slightly rebranded the Arlington County neighborhood. Uh, In their announcement, Amazon referred to what Washingtonians know to be Crystal City as National Landing. No matter what you call it, at least 25,000 jobs will be brought to the DMV area. And that's all for what's brewing. sitting down with our policy counsel Joel Thayer and communications director Ashley Durkin-Rixey to talk us through all things Apple V Pepper. Joel, what up?
3: Not much. How's it going?
0: Pretty great. We're uh, membership chilling. Uh, and Ashley, how you doing? Doing well. That's awesome. Um, so before we dive in with you guys, um, Caitlin, you actually went to the Supreme Court yesterday for the oral arguments. Very curious what that was like.
1: Um, It was hell. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was super interesting. This is the second time I've been in the Supreme Court. Um, the, you have to wake up very early because they only let 50 people in to see the oral arguments. Um, so I got in line right about 4 a.m. I was the last person to get a ticket to watch the oral arguments. Um, so anyone- So people were
0: there earlier than 4 a.m.?
1: People were there. There was one guy who was there at 9 p.m. the night before. Another two people were there at midnight- and they slept outside. Um, other people got there around two a.m. Uh, like an in sync
0: show. <laughs> yes,
1: um, and we were all in sync, in line together. Ew. Hey. Um, I so say bye 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 to that joke. <laughs> 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 so um, once you actually get into the Supreme Court, they kind of corral you into a cafeteria area um, until about eight forty-five when they start lining people up to go upstairs. Before you're allowed to get into the the Supreme Court, where you hear the oral arguments, um, you have to put basically every belonging that you brought with you in a locker. And the lockers are operated with quarters. So if you do not have quarters, you have to ask people for quarters, which <laughs> I had to do the first time that I went. I came prepared, though, with a whopping Don't five quarters. Don't they
0: know that no one carries around cash anymore?
1: Don't they know? <sighs> Apparently not. Um, so I had a lot of quarters this time and was able to stash all my stuff in the locker. You cannot bring phones and You cannot bring your Apple Watch in. You cannot bring anything and You can't bring a book. You can't bring anything. Well, given the case, it's a little bit ironic. I don't know. They, yeah. Don't they know, the audience? Yeah. Read the room, okay. justices.
4: Yeah. Get some app-enabled lockers. <laughs> hey. Oh, I
1: like that. And obviously, the security's super tight. As soon as you walk in, you know, you're put through the metal detectors. And then before you go up into Um, the big room, you have to go through another set of security. They look through your notebook, which embarrassingly had some like black bean, uh, Instapot recipes and like signs and notes from my roommates, like eat these cookies. And they, they, they read the notes. I know they did. They, it wasn't a quick look through it. It was (laughs) embarrassing. But then once you're there, you're in, they tell you where to sit. Everyone's, everyone's all chilling waiting for the Supreme Court uh, justices to come in. Then once they come in, you rise, oral arguments start, and and that's the show.
0: And that's the show, speaking of which. um, I think it would be great maybe for us to get into the actual case. Um, So Joel, can you give us some background on what Apple V Pepper is really all about and how we got here?
3: Sure, well this case stems back nearly a decade ago. It really depends on where you mark it. And there were several claims uh, made against Apple by, I believe five consumers, and now all under the the uh, the guys of Pepper, <laughs> and there the essential questions that they uh, were trying to get receipt redress from the court was they were trying to figure out why does an app cost 99 cents on the App Store, and they felt that once they uncovered that Apple has this prior arrangement with app developers where they charge 30% for particular services that they give to app developers to provide their services on their app store, the consumers felt like that might have been an overcharge. So they brought this case to the uh, Northern District of California. Uh, but when they got there, they uh, the judge soon realized that these may not be the parties who are the appropriate people to sue on behalf of essentially app developers mm. so the Northern District of California said sorry guys uh, maybe you guys should step this one out uh, or set this one out and maybe we should have the real aggrieved parties if they are aggrieved fight this case and that would be the app developers well pepper wasn't having that at all so they took this to the Ninth Circuit and the Ninth Circuit essentially said that Apple served, uh, Apple's function is actually what we should pay attention here, or it's function as a distribution service. And they felt that, well, although we recognize that app developers do set the prices, they do do all of the things that, uh, Apple asserts that they do. And that we ultimately wrote in our, and because they, uh, they, even though they considered all those points, they felt, well, to some degree you, are, uh, Apple is sort of, sort of servicing these consumers. So the Illinois Brick Doctrine stands and so this goes back to what the Illinois Brick Doctrine even is (laughs) and so the Illinois Brick Doctrine basically says that if you're going to sue under some sort of antitrust claim through the Clayton Act or the Sherman Act, you essentially have to be the direct purchaser from the monopolist and so that begs the question, are consumers the direct purchasers of uh, Apple? And that is what this case is about. This case is not about, really, about market share or even getting to the merits of the case. We are just trying to figure out, are these the appropriate folks who can sue Apple for those alleged issues?
0: So I want to get into more about what happened yesterday during the arguments, but real quick, just to sort of frame the conversation, why is this something that really does matter to our members?
4: Well, it really matters because our relationship to our consumers is being called into question, and it's Developers are being talked about, but no one is really being talked with developers. And you might see in some of the media coverage of this case that it really focuses on, you know, does Apple have a monopoly, you know, and big tech and antitrust is a very hot thing for media to cover right now. But as Joel pointed out, this is a very (laughs) legalese kind of case and is asking who has the right to sue. And the most important thing that we are concerned with is retaining the independence of that relationship. We want to be the people who sell apps to customers. We yeah. don't sell our apps to Apple, and Apple doesn't turn around and resell them. Right. So making sure we're hearing more about the role of the developer in all this is really important. Absolutely,
0: so let's get a little bit more into what happened yesterday. So. Um, Oral arguments happened. What are some of the takeaways?
3: Well, it seems that uh, there was a bit of a split, where you had some justices who were focused on more ancillary issues, some of the things that uh, Ashley brought up. But then there were other justices who got right to the point and got right to what this issue is about. And, the, and that gets to the heart. It got to the heart of the question, which was, is Apple a reseller of apps? And the reason why that's important is if Apple is a reseller of apps, it means that Apple then owns the apps that they're selling mm-hmm. to consumers. And if that's the case, then Apple totally is a direct seller of apps to consumers. But as we all know, right. that's not how the app store works. That is not how the interaction that happens between app developers and the consumers work. So this is where we had I guess you can say a huge contention with how this entire uh, well, how Pepper's argument and how they framed it. Why we took such uh, I guess we say we attacked it with fervor, yeah, <laughs> yeah. such care. Yeah, uh, because this this uh, that is a significant question, and that is a question that we oh, sorry that is a, a significant assumption, and we that's an assumption we just want to dispel.
0: Absolutely. So. Oral arguments. Are they like the end-all be-all? Are they like, when we're watching, you know, SVU, they give the oral arguments and it can like sway the judge. Is that true when we're talking about the Supreme Court? I mean, what happens now?
4: Uh, No, (laughs) it is not. um, My wonderful Sam Waterston as my favorite (laughs) DA of all time presenting this big grand case with evidence. It's really the time where the justices have read all the briefs involved and they want to ask questions and hear from both parties. You know, the parties are presenting an argument, but it's not nearly like we see in a criminal or a civil court. It's actually, I would say, maybe even 30% in a sense of what goes into their final decision. So much more happens behind the scenes as The justices confer with each other they look back at reference case law they read through the amicus briefs they kind of take the temperature to learn more about sometimes the parties that are involved if they're not super familiar with functions of the industry so they read media they look at a lot of things and they spend a lot of time talking to each other absolutely so Go ahead, Joel. Oh, and, and
3: uh, just a second that, I mean, uh, when we say a lot of things happen behind the scenes, they are also looking at things such as amicus briefs, where uh, parties who fall outside the scope of the direct parties want to comment on what has happened because the ruling could directly affect them. And as Ashley noted, there uh, was a lot of discussion about app developers, but you would notice in both of the, both the respective briefs that app developers' voice were noticeably missing. Mm -hmm. So this is exactly why we filed uh, in this case and why we thought it was important to bring the app developer voice to the fold because the justice need to hear what are the real implications of this. If we are willing to concede our customers, well, what else is next? And also if consumers are the appropriate party to uh, object to one of our members' uh, contractual agreements, well then, where does that end? And so we want to make sure that app developers' voices are heard on this issue, and that is why it is important. Uh, it is important to always uh, understand that when we file things uh, on behalf of our members, it's because these issues are important to us, and in some ways, even existential.
0: Absolutely. So um, I won't ask you guys to sort of guess on where how the where the court will land, but when can we expect? Um, some sort of ruling on this. Do we know? Um, It can be
4: months. Um, I worked on a Supreme Court case previously and had the great privilege of refreshing SCOTUS blog every Monday morning for about Five or six months—that's like waiting. a whole new meaning to the Monday Scary, yeah. Sunday Scary. I guess Sunday <laughs> sure. was the day, and like depending you get on she got a purple mattress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, depending on what was going on in my life or yeah. other work priorities, I would sit there going, "Please don't let it be today. Please don't let it be the day I'm on vacation." You know, all those things. But in the meantime, you know, media, especially a lot of legal scholars, a lot of people are going to look at all the aspects of this case, the amicus briefs, some of the questioning in the oral argument transcripts, and kind of poke and prod and write all their think pieces about it, and that's something we're gonna to do too. You know, We're going to be sharing the message of how this could impact such a big economy and what it means for developers, because one of the questions that we've been asked by media as we've been talking to them about this case in the last few days is what are the implications? And yeah. like Joel said, they can be existential. I mean, it's so broad, we can't even really speculate on what could happen. It could be as big as something like Etsy is considered a platform, because who, do you purchase it from Etsy? Or the person who made that you know dinosaur in a tutu mug? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Or is it really narrowly defined as just app stores and technology platforms? So you can speculate all you want, but it's a lot of waiting. There are nine people who people just wait on. Yeah. And <laughs> people just and, wait on. And these
3: these uh, concerns that Ashley brings up aren't hypothetical. These discussions are happening, not just in the US, but also abroad. I mean, there are several regulators, particularly in the EU, looking to figure out what regulatory format from a competition standpoint, uh, should the should any government agency interject on some of these questions that aren't necessarily a part of Apple v. Pepper, but certainly tangentially related. And if we have to make sure that we are paying attention to how governments are looking at platforms, how they're defining platforms. And so this case means a lot. I mean, this could determine not just who can sue whom, but how our developers interact with platforms moving forward, however that's defined.
0: Yeah. Guys, this is really helpful, Um, and uh, just like the judges, uh, we will provide many, many uh, pieces of reading material in our show notes, um, all of the things to read, um, just so you guys can get a little bit more uh, spun up on the issue. Um, Thank you guys so much for joining us. You're welcome. You're welcome. We really appreciate it. Um, And now uh, we're going to kick it to Caitlin and Mark for Member Minutes.
1: This month for Member Minutes, we have Mark Fisher of member company Dogtown Media. Hey, Mark, thanks for joining us.
5: Thanks so much for having me on.
1: So before we dive into Apple v. Pepper, can you just tell us a little bit about Dogtown Media?
5: Dogtown Media, our background is a, we are a mobile technology studio uh, founded uh, in Venice Beach, California. And uh, what we do is we take app ideas and accelerate them to the marketplace. And uh, we work with some really exciting uh, founders from VC-backed startups, as well as um, uh, established organizations like Google, the United Nations, and uh, Red
1: Bull. That's awesome. And so Apple v. Pepper really directly affects you and your business. Absolutely. So one of our biggest concerns is that a bad ruling in Apple v. Pepper would directly impact our members, people like you. Um, But they're not even being involved in the conversation. You know, you guys are being talked about and around, but you're not being involved. So we want to hear from you. Um, How would your business and your clients businesses be affected if the court rules in Pepper's favor?
5: Well, it's um, something that hits very close to home. Uh, Our business model And um, uh, our client's business models are very dependent upon the platforms that um, give us the ability to uh, scale in an instant. So we build mobile applications for both the um, iTunes App Store, Apple's App Store, as well as Google Play and Google's App Store. And it gives us the ability to quickly deploy a piece of software that can be downloaded by anybody, anywhere. with that being said, that if we are going to be changing these platforms around due to government regulations and uh, uh, rulings at the, um, the highest levels of the courts, it could have lasting impacts for our business, uh, our business models, and um, our clients as well that have knock-on effects. Uh, right now, what we're looking at is stability. We know the rules of the game. Uh, we know how to um, build apps that comply with um, Uh, Google and Apple's already stringent um, uh, developer contracts and um, we know that um, the platforms that we rely on are going to be stable and um, be there for us uh, 24-7 to be able to uh, create meaningful and engaging experiences that others can download and get into in an instant. If we lose the stability of our of the platforms that we're reliant on, in this case, um, the iTunes App Store, uh, it could throw our entire business into upheaval, and have knock-on effects for um, decades to come. Uh, we could also lose um, our strategic position as uh, leaders in uh, techno- um American leaders in technology, uh, and see that. Uh, that technical and competitive advantage that we have to uh, upstarts offshore that don't have to skirt through the same rules and regulations that are being uh, burdened um, on us.
1: Absolutely. And so your current relationship with the platforms, it allows you to be independent. Um, If the court did rule in Pepper's favor, the change of the relationship would turn developers into basically employees of the platform. Can you talk about the kind of independence that you have now versus what you could possibly be looking at down the road if, if we have a bad ruling?
5: The way the app stores operate right now is that they give you a platform to um, publish and as an independent developer and an independent uh, company, we're very reliant on the stability of these platforms to upload our apps, submit them to the App Store, and then have them published to an audience of millions at our f- or billions at our fingertips. If this uh, goes through at the highest court and the ruling is um, not in favor of Apple, uh, it can change the rules of the game and really uh, knock us off our pedestal. Uh, for our, biz- our current business models, so one of the things is that um, we can release apps for free onto the App Store. We can release apps uh, for, on a freemium model, where we release them for free and people can uh, buy um, uh, products, uh, virtual products inside of, and, and subscriptions inside of our uh, app experience, or we can charge. Uh, anywhere from 99 cents to, I believe, $999 uh, for download of our um, uh, digital products in the form of apps. If we become basically employees of Apple, it changes the rules of the game. What I could immediately see is uh, burdensome paperwork, uh, compliance uh, and uh, legal and regulatory hurdles that would slow down our ability to published to the app stores to the point where it may not be uh, economically feasible for us to continue to do so. Right. We can also see our business models uh, affected uh, in adverse ways where the burden uh, and and regulatory compliance um, and the costs that are affiliated with that are so extreme that Apple may choose not to uh, continue to uh, support us as developers in the same way and um, that could drive a lot of innovation um, uh, worldwide, offshore, instead of um, uh, to the app stores, which are hosted by American companies. Uh, We could also see a raise um, in the fees that are affiliated with um, uh, being an app developer. Uh, Right now, to be an app developer for the iTunes app store, it costs just $99 to to subscribe per year. Uh, That cost could go up exponentially if uh, regulatory costs uh, skyrocket for Apple to um, to continue to operate as a as a platform.
1: All of this is really scary stuff because the Supreme Court just heard these arguments, and we really don't know what the ruling is going to be, um, and we don't know when it's going to happen. So this uncertainty, I'm sure, as a business owner, um, is really stressful—not just for you, but you know, for all of our member companies. And everyone knows uncertainty is not. A friend of innovation i want to thank you so much for joining us today on tech swamp this was your first time on tech swamp right
5: yeah as a matter of fact
1: well welcome and thanks again mark
5: appreciate it caitlin thanks so much Bye.
0: so now it's time for random identifier um caitlin kick things off first.
1: So I'm starting on a sad note, and I apologize for that. Um, I just found out today—well, we all did—that uh, Steven Hillenburg, the creator of SpongeBob SquarePants, has unfortunately died. Um, he had ALS, which I didn't even know. I didn't know that Me either. Um, and it, it's Giving Tuesday, so maybe I'll—I'll I'll make my Giving Tuesday donation to an ALS foundation. Well, that's a idea. Yeah. I, I'm um, going to join you in that. Okay. I'll do
0: that
2: too.
1: Um, I loved SpongeBob growing up. Yep. I was the biggest like SpongeBob girl. They're, like, horse girls and, you know, like, soccer girls. <laughs> I was were. a SpongeBob girl. <laughs> um, I had a birthday party in fifth grade, and I swear... I, I'm I'm 100% sure that every single gift I got for that birthday was SpongeBob-themed. I had, like, the... Alarm Clock that had the F-U-N F- song. Yeah. Um, yeah. My best friend,
0: Bianca, and one of my other very good friends, Anya, they used to sing that song all yes. the time. I didn't know it. I was not as big of a SpongeBob fan.
1: I loved it. And my sister hated it. And that poor girl, she had to watch it so much because, <laughs> like, I would control the remote because I was the older sister. I
0: really appreciated his laugh, though. Yes. Mm. And Plankton was sort it. of a character that, I like, yes. resonated with me.
1: I saw something really cool the other day about Plankton. It was, like, a, a detail in SpongeBob, you didn't know. And he, there was an episode where he ate uh, like a holo, holographic uh, meatloaf. But the reason that they did that is because plankton. Yeah, photos. Photo, yeah, yeah, light and light things. And, yeah. yeah, I know science Ooh, a little. Fun. Um, so yeah, that was cute. That's awesome. But yeah, I'm I'm a little sad about well, that. Well, sad,
0: but also like, what a legacy. What a legacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, SpongeBob. Taught so us all much about happiness. Yes. Taught us it's okay to be a grumpy squid. Yeah. Sometimes. Right. Clarinet. Beautiful thing. Art. Positivity. Sponges. 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 See? We learned about photosynthesis and LinkedIn. We <laughs> did.
2: Yep. I don't know
0: that photosynthesis is the right word in this particular situation, but we're gonna go with it. Yeah, <laughs> it's something else, but it's
2: fine. <laughs> this isn't a show about science, so <laughs>
0: um all right, Gary, what about you?
2: <laughs> Mine is a little uh not as sad at all. Um, we're moving away from this. Exactly. Yeah. Um so since her american idol win in 2002 mm-hmm. i have been utterly obsessed with kelly clarkson i get it if you're listening i love you um <laughs> she's definitely listening, she's, right well. <laughs> exactly um it's deep and it's real and it's getting a little bit intense sometimes um
0: <laughs> what can you pick a favorite
2: song oh by far breakaway if uh, you listen to that you will understand that's kind of a life. sad song it, it's kind of, but like for me, it's kind of inspiring. uplifting. Yeah. It's inspiring. Yeah, 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 It's like it's very autobiographical. If you listen to that song, you will know my life journey to this point. My life. Oh mm-hmm. wow!
0: All right, yeah. that's bold. Um, uh, um she—they're on Spotify. She has a cover of a uh, uh, Prince's kiss, kiss. yeah. And my father is a very big Prince mm-hmm. <laughs> Prince fan, uh, <laughs> and I recently introduced him to that cover, and he was just like, "Dan Clarkson." Dang! (laughs) You do you! And I just really appreciated that. So, (laughs) she has my father's seal of
2: approval. I want that on a hat now. Dang Clarkson. Yeah, Dang Clarkson. mm -hmm.
0: Dang, comma. Clarkson. Clarkson. Um, Well, I'm gonna take this into, like, the total, like, king of the creeps, because I'm gonna talk about the fact that in 1998, November of 1998, um, Furbies were released. Let's talk Uh, about Furbies, guys. Because we're all at this table, we're all millennials. We all fall into that. So, like, all of us remember Furbies. Mm -hmm. Um... (laughs) So, did, did you all, did you both have one? I had a Furby, and
1: it had a malfunction. Um, so, I had the little beak that would, like, you know, open, uh-huh. but the mm-hmm. top of the beak came down, and I saw all the gears inside Whoa. of it, and God. was like, I had trauma
2: from Extra that. Extra terrifying. It was weird. Scary. I did not, but my sister did, and hers right. was an insomniac. It was oh, horrendous. Yeah. Would it do the um, feed me thing? But, like, it would do the, the feed night? me thing. And her bedroom was situated at the very end of the hallway. Mm-hmm. And so when I would get up like three in the morning to like, get water, <laughs> i like, am like, no, it's three <laughs> yeah. in the morning. First of all, down. it is
0: scary how good your Furby... Furby? Yeah. Yeah, um, that was scary how good that was. <laughs> I think we need to
1: mark the podcast explicit because of that. Yeah, that because it was terrifying. Pretty terrifying.
0: Um, <laughs> I had two because I was my birthday was like july and they were like at the heat or mm. the heat the height <laughs> the height of their heat we'll say the height of their popularity and um i so i got two for my birthday um or maybe like one for christmas one for my birthday whatever i had to and and they talked so much and they kind of made me so uncomfortable that i took the batteries out of them and put them in my closet and one day one of them started talking from within my closet nope. without batteries in it i promise this goes back to haunted tech
1: yeah which this is haunted in, tech
0: in october and it was. It's to this day. Sometimes I look at my closet in my bedroom at my mom's house, and I'm just You're a little scared, <laughs> a little, like a little bit.
2: <laughs> Completely understandable. Beyond.
0: Ooh. I get that. that. <laughs> okay, guys, that's it for Tech Swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff.
1: And, of course, we want to give a shout-out to Brad Goodall, who composed the podcast.
0: Awesome music.
1: Thanks, Brad. Um, And also, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And, of course, we would love a rate and review.
0: Please. Um, Everyone, say bye.
1: Bye Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Bye.